0: Today's first scripture reading comes from 1 Samuel 16, seven through 13, which you may find on page 287 of your church Bible. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Be Today's second scripture reading comes from 2 Samuel 7 4 through 13 and can be found on pages 3, 10 through 11 of your pew Bible. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place, with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them any more as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Welcome to each one of you who are here with us today, and welcome to each one of you joining us on Zoom. We trust that God blesses you through this day and look forward, particularly to those of you on Zoom at some point, being able to meet with you as you return from your travels and or life has changed to such a extent that you can be joining with us and look forward to that very much. Now, in the last weeks, we have been working through a sermon series called Foundations, and the concept is we're looking at certain persons in the Old Testament. We're looking at their lives and particularly how God has revealed Himself to them and how God has worked in their lives so that we would understand and it would cause our concept of God, that means our understanding of who God is and how God works. Of course, we will never fully understand God because God is God, the Creator, the Almighty, the One who took dust in eternity and created humankind. That we would have this potential of having a relationship, an eternal relationship with God. And we look then at these individuals from the Old Testament Seeing how God revealed Himself and how God worked in their lives, because we also look at the New Testament and see how, in our time and space, and the writers of the New Testament then took some of these individuals either they quoted them in the New Testament, they used them as examples or illustrations in the New Testament, and in some cases, the very way God worked in their lives is the principle upon which they explain how our faith works. For example, a couple of weeks ago we looked at Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 verse 6. It says, And Abraham believed God, and God credited to him as righteousness. And Paul takes that verse, and in The book of Romans chapter 4, he expounds that and uses that as an example and as a principle of how God works when He sees belief in our lives. When He understands faith in our lives. And how God, seeing that our faith, our belief that Jesus died in our place. That He was the substitute sacrifice for you and me. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And as we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that he suffered and died in our place, and we confess him as Lord with our mouth, we have salvation. God credits to us that faith in the form of righteousness or being forgiven. And so, it's important as we look at these. Now, some take up different amounts of space, and today in the Bible, um, last week, we tried to touch on the person there who is recorded in five books of the Old Testament and quoted many times in the New Testament. Now, today I want to talk about David. And the uniqueness about David, of course, is the characteristic by which... He is noted, and it's not a note that simply comes from men, although Paul quotes it as he preaches. But it is that God looked upon his heart, and God said, there is a man who is after my heart. In other words, not just that he is a good and nice person, but he yearns for the very movement of God. And of course, I want us today to look at that concept and that idea of what does it mean? What does it mean to us today? As we began this service, we prayed that God would send his spirit here in a special way that within our minds, within our hearts, within the very depth of our innermost being, we were aware of God. And when God comes like that, as it was quoted to us or read to us from 1 Samuel chapter 16, how when God is instructing Samuel, it's not this brother, the eldest, nor the second eldest, nor down the line, and then he comes and says, but this one, for God does not look as people look on the outward conditions. God looks in the heart. And may I ask us all, including myself, when God looks there at my heart, what does he see? And David is this man. Now, some basic context about David. One of the reasons he is one of these foundation persons in the Old Testament that is also brought into the New is commentators have counted the number of times his name is mentioned in the Bible over a thousand times nearly 1100 times wow that was something itself and then of course he's written many of the psalms which we read actually i just uh, we were given a lovely book by uh, one of the persons here in the church recently and it talks about using the psalm as a lesson to help us learn how to pray I found it so helpful and these things David has written many of those but also we find the life of David in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel goes right through those two books and then he is quoted many times in the New Testament and also he is chosen as we just mentioned by God to be a king Not the desire of people, but the desire of God. This is the one, so an incredible example to us. But I think most important for us in our present-day world is the fact that this promise, this covenant, this uh, idea that God had said to him, I will build for you a house, not just a physical out-of-wood stone and plaster or whatever house, But this concept is like a dynasty, like an unending generation of family that go on and on. And of course the concept at the very end that was read to us in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is that this one, this descendant, this one that comes from the very house and line of David will reign forever. And the New Testament takes up that concept. Let me read to you from Luke chapter 1. As the angel from God comes to Mary and he is going to explain to her, he is going to give examples of what it is going to mean and what is going to happen as she then becomes pregnant from the Holy Spirit and bears this son, Jesus. Listen to what the angel says as he explains that to her. You will conceive and give birth to a son... And you are to call him Jesus. Immediately the New Testament takes and brings us with focus that Jesus is the one to fulfill this. Then listen how he explains even further. And he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. The angel nails it into place. The throne of his father David. Then listen. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And then the phrase, and his kingdom will never end. Of course, in Matthew, as it introduces Jesus, what it does immediately in Matthew 1.1, as it is giving his genealogy, it takes him back, and it doesn't say there, descendant of Abraham, but he said, the very root and tribe and son of David it identifies again and again Jesus as this fulfillment of this prophecy that has come to him now at the end of this scriptures of course in Gen- excuse me the book of revelation chapter 22 just as the bible is drawing to a close there in verse 16 Jesus himself claims this and he says, I, Jesus. And then he goes on and tells John how he's given this testimony for the churches, the whole book of Revelation. And then he says, and I am the root and the offspring of David. He claims for himself this promise, this amazing truth that this, he is the one that God has promised is coming. Now, in that... It's an amazing truth. Well, what then is David's story? And to put two books of the Bible together, as you've seen in the last week, I am not good at being short. I am much better in Switzerland than I was in America. You do not understand how much you have helped me. And everyone who ever listens to me from this point on, even if they do not know you, they will deeply, deeply appreciate what you've built into my life. (laughs) And having said all of that, there is so much about David. So what I have chosen to do this morning is just take five different incidents or happenings from his life, look at each one of those briefly and see how the Bible applies that in our own lives. Now, for us, of course, that he was chosen by God, we've already thought about that, so I will not go back to that, but I want you to grasp hold of that this morning. The uniqueness about David and that which brings and comes right into 2023 is the concept of God looking into and upon our hearts. And that God is looking for certain things even as it was sung to us this morning, near to the heart of God. Actually, there's a marvelous study that uh, was given us by Jeff Anhut about the presence or being God, being with us. I know he has notes, and I'm embarrassing him, but if you want, I'm sure he has more of those same notes. And as we came to the end of that, in this moment when sometimes we who will live today find this a struggle to know how close is God. Is God with us or not? And I remember as I was walking from the room, it hit me. It's very much like Peter. After Jesus has preached and the disciples get in the boat and they row into the middle of the lake and the storm comes and they're trying to keep the boat from capsizing and all of that. And all of a sudden, here comes Jesus walking on the water. And I want you to notice this morning that when Peter acknowledges Jesus, he says, Lord, if that's you! And at that moment, there are two points and two requests one can make. One can make the request, if that's you, please get in my boat. That's what we tend to do when we become a bit insecure and not knowing what God is doing. But the request Peter makes is this, Lord, if that is you, tell me to come to you on the water. And without hesitation, Jesus says, come. And for a moment, or we don't know how long, the Bible does not tell us, but there comes a point where Peter steps out of the boat and he walks on water. Yes, we all remember that he went through the water as he looked at the waves and all of that, but I Always remember that the other 11 disciples will never critique him for a moment because he walked towards God. You see, it's not only God coming to us, but there comes those moments in life when we need to move and step out and follow him. Would not God today be speaking to us, to some of us, come? And we need to take that step Well, he was chosen by God because God saw this in David's heart. And then the next chapter in 1 Samuel goes on to another incredible event in his life. And that is when he fights Goliath. Remember the account the Bible has said that Saul has been appointed king. It is a very turbulent moment, I think, in the heart of God. As Saul is appointed king, if you read that background this afternoon as you're sitting out enjoying the sun, sipping your coffee and reading, if you go back you will find that the people of Israel look around at all the other nations because they all had kings But God had said, I will lead you. I will be your king. And they looked around and said, you know, that nation has a king. And he leads. And he makes decisions. And he fights our battles. That's what we want to be like. We don't want to be like this. We want to be like them. And God comes to Samuel and he says, give them what they want. But tell them. They've chosen to relinquish me and take that. Anyway as they point and find Saul to be the king and he's pointed out the Bible says and he is head above taller than any other Israelite. Now when we get to chapter 17 the Philistines with whom they are fighting have this giant called Goliath. Now remember the Israelites have a king whose head taller than anyone else. So if you have a giant here Whose responsibility is it to fight from here? But Saul does not want to go. And David comes, and as he brings some bread and cheese to his brothers who are there serving in the army, he begins to say, well, who is this Goliath? Who is he? Why does he challenge the armies of God? Why doesn't somebody go and challenge him? And the Bible says he keeps repeating this, and suddenly he's brought in to Saul's, and Saul explains to him and says, well, why doesn't someone go, David says. And David says, I will go. And Saul, of course, you're like, well, how can you? You're just a young man. And then David uses two experiences in life to explain to Saul why he's willing to face the giant. He said as I herded my father's sheep one day a lion came and he took one of the sheep and I rose up and I struck the lion and the lion released the sheep and then God helped me to take out the lion. And then he says another day a bear came and he grabbed one of my father's sheep and and then I came not in my strength but God helped me I don't know about you, we lived in Wisconsin where there are real bear. And every springtime we would see these male bear walk through our grass outside our house. I did not want to get in their way. Not even the mother bear with the cubs that came and crawled up the tree outside the window. I stayed away. But you see what David said here is, it wasn't me, Saul. It was God working through me. And so then you come to this, where he then is sent out before Goliath. And Goliath, as a typical person at that time, shouts and derogative remarks about David. And David replies to him this way, beginning in verse 45. And David said to the Philistine, "You come against me with the sword and the spear and the ja- s- spear, excuse me, and the spear and the javelin." But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down. And he goes on, and the full Philistine army will be also struck. And then the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give it all into our hands. At that moment, if God was looking into the heart of David, what did he see? He saw a man who knew God to the extent that he knew that even though he faced a giant, God was still God! God! And he didn't go against him in his own power or his own might. He went to him in the name of God. And oh, people, if we can just capture that. Because in 2020, 2023, as we are here and we see these things, how many of us sit and think, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if this is big and I see this. Sometimes we need to understand, as David did, that God is bigger. In our postmodern world, we have a concept of God which is shrinking. And we think, yes, God only does this. And we, we, we kind of move away from God being holy. And we make him a little smaller in our concept and understanding. And then of God being, yes, we know in the stars and we know in eternity. Yes, but in our lives... And here, David says, Oh, I go and I come. You come with all you have, and I come in the name of the God Almighty. My cry for you, IPC, and for myself is that this week we live our lives in that very same mode, in the name of the God Almighty. So, he was chosen because of what was in his heart. And first we find in his heart was this very fact that he believed that God was with him and that God would fight that battle for him, which God did. Then if you read on, David in chapter 24, there is this moment in life when he's been anointed as the new king, but the old king is still reigning. Can you imagine that situation? You're going to be king, but this one hasn't turned in the crown yet a very difficult time and then Saul chases David trying actually literally to kill him and that records or comes to a point is recorded in chapter 24 where Saul is chasing David and his men he has not been able to capture him but he comes to a place where David and his men are hiding in a cave listen to what it says and he came to the sheepfolds among the, along the way and a cave was there And Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. Now that's a pretty straightforward way it's written in this scripture. (laughs) Many scriptures will say he went in to take a nap, if they're trying to be real kind. What it really means is he went in to use the bathroom or toilet into the cave as a king. He was being whatever. And the men said, now David and his men, it says, were in the back of the cave. And his men, listen to what his men say to David. This is the day the Lord spoke when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands and you will deal with them as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Can you imagine that? Oh, yes, they're saying, David, now it's been unfair. And now is the moment when you can get your own. Certainly this is the blessing and opportunity that God has given And so to do it really nicely, he he, he sneaks up and he cuts off the edge of the robe. Now, how embarrassing that would have been when Saul put his robe back on. But we don't know exactly. It doesn't describe the detail. But then listen to what happens afterwards, after he'd cut this off. And that would have been the moment when David would have waved it to his men and said, See, I've got it. Now take him out. Listen to what happens. David was conscious stricken, for having cut off the corner of the robe, and he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or to lay my hand on him, for he is anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and would not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. If you continue reading then after Saul is out, you'll find David comes outside or goes up to a, to a place that's higher up and he waves out calling out to Saul, Saul, look what I have. Today God delivered you into my hands but then God spoke and said, no, this is not the way. And listen to what he says. In verse 12, may the Lord judge between you and me And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. There was the opportunity to get his own. The opportunity because if you read his story, it seems really unfair. And for the first opportunity, and even his men are telling him, this is the opportunity, David, take it. And as he cuts that off, the conscience, the voice of God inside that speaking of God to the deepest inner person of who we are says, No, David, I have anointed him, I have anointed you, I will judge. And sometimes I wonder in 2023 if we as Christians would live out this what message and what God saw in the heart of David where David had to learn to listen to the conscience, the voice of God speaking to him, and rather than saying, yes, I have my rights, yes, I can do this, yes, I can say this, yes, I can write this, yes, I can do this, rather than to say, no, they too are ones God loves, and I wait for God to judge between them and me. And that's the last that he is troubled by Saul. And then we had the fourth event is what was read to us in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and 7 where he desires to build this house for God. And then God comes and says, and I have a plan. I have a promise for you. I have brought you from where you have come to this place. And then I have a future for you. And I have a future that includes eternity. And this morning, as we consider the will of God the Father for you and me, for all of us here, realize that God has brought us through his providence to where we are today. But that is not all that God has thought or planned or desires for us. He has a future. And part of that future includes eternity. And there in chapter 7 it says, and David went in, that would have been to the tabernacle, and he sat, in my mind, it says sat before God, my mind pictures him as, as cuddling up as close to the veil that separated the very presence of God from his people and got as close to God as he can. And he says, oh God, who am I, a mere human that you have thought about me, you have planned for me, and you have promised me to bring me here, but not just to finish here, but a future and an eternal plan. That I think God has for you and me today. And the last of the five things I want us to consider this morning is found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It begins like this. And it was the spring of the year when kings went to led their armies into war. And David sent out his army under his leader. But David stayed home. It's the first time you find where David doesn't do what is expected of him. Instead of going and leading as God has appointed him to do, he stays at home. And as he stays at home, he wanders across the rooftop and sees this lady taking a bath. Lust. He calls her, she goes, commits adultery, and in a few weeks she says back to him, saying, David, I'm pregnant. And then he brings the husband home, telling him to go home and be with his wife. The husband, because he's a soldier, refuses. And then David tells his general to take the husband and put him in the front line and then ask your men to draw back. You see, once you're there and you know you should have gone, but you've stayed where you shouldn't be, then sin can come through temptation. But the result of sin is you've got to do more sin to cover up this sin. Can you remember back when you were so young you told your first lie? And maybe your family, in my case it would have been my mother, who kind of graciously, lovingly grilled me about it, and you had to invent another lie to cover up this lie. It's the way sin works. And all I would say is this to all of us is if you know that you're staying here when you should be here. Maybe that's on your cell phone when you shouldn't be. Maybe that's in front of your computer where you shouldn't go to a website. Maybe that's some literature or film. Or maybe that's a discussion that you know is not going in the right direction. Whatever that might be, learn from David. Stop and come here to the will of God. Because then he sends the prophet Nathan, and we know the account with Nathan gives him this parable, and he gets angry at this wicked man and says, whoever he is, I'm going to zap him. And David says, you're him. You're the man. And then we have this beautiful thing where David repents and says, I have sinned. And out of that, if you read Psalm 51, the prologue to Psalm 51 will say, and as Nathan the prophet came and confronted David after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, This is what he wrote. Remember how it starts? Oh God, I have sinned against you. I call out to your mercy. Forgive me. Take away my transgressions. Wash me and I shall be cleansed. And he tells, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Against you and you alone have I sinned. Think of what God saw, you know, all of us for the best of life at moments gets messy. And for each and every one of us, there's a time when we know we shouldn't be there, but maybe we pause or linger. But if we do, there is then this moment when we need to bring that before God and allow him to cleanse, forgive, and restore. Because at the end of his life, David in 2 Samuel chapter 23 writes his last words and says, And I know that my house is in order. That's my prayer for each of us. That as we come to the end of the will of God here, that we are able to say with David, and I know my house is in order. And as God speaks to us this morning, let us hear his voice and let us respond with the integrity of heart, as David did, and seek his face. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this opportunity to even look and consider your person, David, in the Old Testament, who desired to serve you. And Lord, what he found out was that you had a greater plan for him than he could have ever imagined not only taking him from where he had begun, but you brought him to the place where he was, which was amazing in itself, but Lord, you had a future and you had an eternal part as well. And I pray for each of us here today, might we grab hold of that this morning, that the will of God for us is to bring us to this point. But then, Lord, you're going to meet with us and deal with us and give us a future and an eternity. And Lord, I pray for all of us who sometimes linger where we shouldn't be. May we this morning, in all the honesty of heart, confess that before you and ask for your cleansing, your restoration, and that you would place into us again the joy of your salvation. We worship you and ask for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.